This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, sharing the hyperlocal, controversial and quirky stories of the Waikato region. I'm your host, Gary Farrow. Volcanoes are something that will always be relevant to the Waikato and Aotearoa. Volcanoes are all around us. The International Association of Volcanology and Chemistry of the Earth's Interior assembled for its annual conference in Rotorua for 2023. Over half the volcanologists in the world gathered to discuss their latest research. A public event was also held called Volcano Fest, where people could meet volcanologists, ask questions and learn more about what's going on in the earth under our feet. It sounded so exciting that I went on a road trip to attend the event, meet the experts and learn about volcanology and why it matters to the Waikato. Uh, my name is Graham Leonard. I'm a volcanologist at GNS Science. So I work on the eruption histories of volcanoes, kind of telling their life story. I make maps of volcanoes all the way from Ruapehu to the Bay of Plenty coastline, really. I got involved about five years ago now, six years ago. Uh, we proposed to the International Association of Chemistry and Volcanology of the Earth's Interior. Big, big um, mouthful that, but yeah, I'd say it's, it's the Global Association of Volcanologists. And we proposed to hold the four yearly gathering of the world's volcanologists in New Zealand. Uh, the next one, and that was back in 20, uh, 2017. Uh, so it was, and they said, yeah, that'd be great. We haven't, been, they hadn't been to New Zealand in uh, almost 40 years. Last time was in 1986. So the world's volcanologists were very excited. We had it scheduled for 2021 and we've just had a couple of, uh, a couple of years delay with COVID. So everyone's even more excited to finally get to see their colleagues and to come and see the amazing landscapes and volcanoes of New Zealand. What, what was the reason for it being so long since the conference had been held in New Zealand? Because given we're such an interesting geothermal space. That's a good question. The, there are a lot of really interesting places around the world, and this is all of the world's volca- volcanologists. There are almost a thousand people here, and there's there's more than 1,100 once you count the people online. Um, so you've got uh, you've had com- conferences proposed uh, to be held uh, in you know, America, South America, in Asia, uh, in Europe, all over the world. So everyone takes their turn, and it's only every four years. So uh, I guess we kind of took our turn and realized, hey, it's been ages. Um, And everyone else said the same. They said, you know, we'd love to come to New Zealand and really uh, work with you guys, look at your amazing volcanoes. I I feel like New Zealand has good volcanologists. It's got great volcanoes and we're at the forefront of volcanology research. So it was a really good time to, to kind of showcase that to the community. There are so many people here with so many interests in volcanology. And I had a look at the schedule for this event, um, for the um, the actual conference, uh, which is closed to the public, but there are yeah nearly a thousand scientists in there. Um, and the number of speeches and classes and seminars and commissions that are taking place is 
incredible. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and that's, that's kind of speaks to volcanology. Volcanology is lots of different kinds of science being brought together to tackle the problem of understanding magma systems and the way volcanoes work and the way they erupt and also the way they might impact society. So it's everything from chemists to earthquake scientists to people who study the impact volcanic ash might have on jet turbines. Uh, we've got, we've got the, the World Meteorological Organization running a workshop after with us about ash and aviation. You know, that's another world community that's come along to join this conference and through to social scientists looking at how we perceive our landscape, how, um, how we make things like hazard maps and how we can uh, you know, make, be safer in response to these volcanoes too. I suppose it's only a matter of time before an eruption which happens. I mean, it could be tens of thousands of years, it could be hundreds of thousands of years, or it could be tomorrow. That's right, and it depends on the place, right? So somewhere like Auckland, it's, eruptions are every few hundred to a couple of thousand years, so it's unlikely in your lifetime. Most of our preparedness is for the city in general. We, it's a, the little volcanoes can pop up anywhere and they're, they're pretty small, uh, but when they come up with a third of the country's population and even more of the economy there, we need with critical infrastructure and government to be ready for evacuation plans and making you know, systems strong. Whereas somewhere like Tongariro National Park, we've got volcanoes that erupt, you know, dec you know once every decade or two. And we've, we've got a lot of tourists going to places like that. And so, you know, we're, you're going to see eruptions at both Tongariro and Ruapehu, probably in your lifetime, definitely in Ruapehu. So we're preparing for that eventuality and you know, working out with partners like Department of Conservation to work out how to um, reduce the risk as much as possible because people just love to flock to volcanoes. Yeah, it's kind of like when there's a tsunami coming and everyone goes down to the beach. Well, not everyone, but, exactly. you know, a significant number of people. Yeah, and, and speaking of tsunami, you know, we've even got a paddling pool exercise here in Volcano Fest where we're simulating how, uh, just with sand and a, and a balloon and a bike pump and some water and a paddling pool, how Fakari is formed and the magma chamber you know, has pushed up before and caused the top to collapse off. That would generate a tsunami and that might be a problem for Fakatane. So it's about educating kids about linked processes. You know, if you see a big eruption, you know, I mean a big one at Fakari, not not what we usually see. Um, there's a chance of tsunami, so you want to be you want to be ready for that. So we're trying to connect those things up. And you know, speaking of Volcano Fest, I think a real emphasis and, and, and a growth of this meeting compared to others around the world is we're trying to engage heavily with the community. We've had teacher interactions, teacher field trips earlier in the week, and Volcano Fest is open to the public all day today. And actually, I'm I'm amazed. Given the weather here, we're getting really large community interest and arrival already. You know, and it's only just lunchtime. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, now, I suppose, you know, not egging on any district councils or um, community bodies or anything like that, but we've just had a lot of rain in the last few days and that has caused enough trouble for uh, the infrastructure and for public services and for, uh, you know, there have even been students who haven't been able to go to school in Auckland, um, buses having to forward through floods and people standing up on the seats. Um, we couldn't have expected that, really. We, we would have expected our infrastructure to withstand that. So I suppose, in terms of uh, relating to volcanism, um, you've got plenty of work plenty of work to do, don't yeah, you? Right. And we've got plenty of stuff to engage with. I mean, New Zealand's a really active place. You know, we're a little island, well, not that little, but we're an island remotely in the South Pacific, so we deal with a lot of weather, that's what you're seeing now, and, and extreme events are like that, you know. You know, we don't see them that often, but when they happen, they can they can really stress the system, but the Zealandia Te Rua Maui continent 
goes all the way up to New Caledonia and down towards Antarctica. It's huge, only 5% of it, the New Zealand bit, is above water. And that's because the plate boundaries right here were being pushed up out of the ocean by the active plate boundary in the Southern Alps and by volcanoes and uplifts in the North Island. Uh, and otherwise we'd be underwater. And it's a beautiful country because of those mountain ranges and, you know, and the volcanoes. And we've just kind of got to take that with living in such an amazing place. Otherwise, we, we'd just be underwater. The, the secret is to be prepared for those things, even the most extreme events. That's a real good visual you just gave of the, um, the larger landform which we are on. I don't think people think of that. People think of New Zealand as being just created by a few volcanoes and uh, tectonic activity, uh, but we're part of a, a, a huge network. And of course, we're on the ring of fire. We are on the ring of fire, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's just, uh, our string of volcanoes starts at Ruapehu and you know, runs, runs through here to Fakati, but it actually keeps going offshore underwater all the way through Tonga. It's part of the ring of fire. You get earthquakes and volcanoes all the way around the edge of the Pacific uh, plate as it pushes outwards. So we're just part of a much wider system. It's not all connected, like we're not, volcanoes here aren't connected to South America or Japan, but it's, it's the same process. So it's not like you have earthquakes and volcanoes erupting here and causing them in other places, but it's the same process around the Pacific. So it would be the shifting of the plates causing magma to be forced up at points yep. around the edge of the tectonic plate. That's right. Subduction is the main process. You know, the Pacific plate pushes under the other ones. Here it's the Australian plate under the North Island. 100k down, that plate goes through a chemical reaction, gives off a little bit of magma, and that pops up as little dotted volcanoes. And that, that's the same process all the way up to Tonga. I think that's hard to perceive that something which happens 100 kilometres below the ground has such huge effects above ground. It is, it is, and that's why we need to, you know, use uh, any analogy we can. I find someone with a bike pump pretending to be that magma source and filling a magma chamber in a paddling pool. Kind of, we want to, we don't want to be elitists as scientists. We want to, we don't want science to be hard to access. You know, it's just about understanding what's going on around you. So we're, we're trying to do experiments that families and kids in the community can relate to, and you know, show them that. Their ideas are valid, you know, we call an idea a hypothesis, but it's just an idea, you know, and then we have experiments to try and work out how it's done. It's all about showing that we're all scientists. Kids make great scientists. They have ideas and they test them. That's all sciences. We just want people to not lose that as they get older in life. Awesome. Well, it looks like it's going really well with Volcano Fest, um, let alone the, the larger conference, which is happening next door. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's going great. Uh, we had a little bit of weather disruption, uh, but almost everyone's been able to make it into um, to New Zealand. And, you know, they it almost uh, the, a, a bit of disruption like that brings everyone closer together. And uh, we're getting really good feedback. Everyone everyone's loving the sessions. There's about seven or eight hundred different talks being given and about seven or eight hundred different kind of posters up talking about science plus all the workshops, so it's it's a huge event. It's, you know, a once in a generation thing for New Zealand with uh, the world's volcanologists. You know, just enjoy your landscape, learn about your landscape, ask questions and test them out, talk to scientists. You're all, you're all capable of being scientists just like me. It's it's nothing too, uh, too complicated. We want to make it easy. I am Professor Ben Kennedy. I'm based from the University of Canterbury. My research specializes in um, science communication and science education around volcanoes um, but I also do volcano research as well on many of New Zealand's volcanoes including Fukari and Ruapehu. I've been working more and more with schools and um, you know the public in as a volcanologist um, and I realize that you know when we have these conferences we don't have these open doors typically so 
um, yeah, and when we knew this room was available, we thought, wow, this is going to be awesome. We've developed all of these cool tools and people from all over the world, you know, the group from Italy, they go out to talk to Italian school kids and they, the demonstrations that they do, they're demonstrating. Um, you know, we've got demonstrations here about the hazards of volcanoes near the coast. So this was developed uh, um, with communities from Fakatane. Um, we've got everything from VR experiences where you can fly around undersea volcanoes. Wow. Um, we've got computer games where you can get points by crystallizing different minerals and um, trying to stop the volcano exploding or evacuate the town. Um, we've got this group that um, has prepared, a, this is freshly made um, House of Science box that is available to take out to schools. And it's basically a box of volcano experiments and information that um, schools can use to teach volcanoes. And we developed this um, in collaboration with the House of Science. Um, film festivals, so a film festival where people who have made um, movies about geology and about volcanoes. Um, with indigenous movies and all sorts of different categories. Um, we've got music. So we've got music that was inspired by volcanoes and an orchestra over here um, from Nicaragua. Um, we've got kind of citizen science, so explaining how you can go out and test local waters. So if you live in a geothermal area, you can monitor um, what's happening. Um, yeah. Another kind of movies and outreach from La Palma. So there was a big eruption in La Palma recently and how um, outreach was developed to interact with, with their communities. Mm. Wow, well this is so much just in the publicly open part of the conference. Yes. But obviously there are so many volcanologists here from around the world for the conference. It's an immense event, isn't it? It is a huge event. So these are literally the um, there's probably more than 50% of the volcanologists on the planet are here um, in Rotorua in this, in this building right now. So I think we've got 800 or so um, volcanologists from around the world. And yeah, and most of them are off in um, scientific sessions now. So listening to the latest research about their, about their volcanoes that they're studying and their methods that they use to study those volcanoes. Yeah, and we've even got a little uh, photography display as well for volcanoes from all around the world and some volcano artwork as well on the other side. Um, yeah. Great. Well, the, the, the topics here and the aspects of volcanology that are being covered would be just huge with how many volcanologists are here. You know, we've got submarine volcanoes, we've got uh, volcanic vents like in New Zealand, We've got um, uh, the likes of Fakari White Island to, 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 to look into. Yeah. And as you say, the local uh, or the recent eruption in La Palma. There's just, there's so much to it. I, I imagine there's a lot more than I've mentioned just then. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, there are literally probably thousands of vol different volcanoes being studied by different people in different countries. Um, and yeah, and everyone's using different techniques you know some people are using um, you know earthquakes to study volcanoes but you know as lots of people in this conference are using explaining their new work with drones for collecting gas for um, taking photos making 3d images for monitoring volcanoes um, people are even using volcanic lightning <laughs> and like shock waves so all the latest technologies are being discussed and 
debated on you know what works best. Mm. So basically, people can find out at this event um, how they can be involved in citizen science. Yes. So this citizen science station over here, um, yeah, there's they've got a few projects that they've got, including you can get your local schools involved and have a seismometer in your school that's linked up to a national network that will help inform. Um, earthquakes associated with volcanoes, but also um, earthquakes associated with tectonic plates. Um, they've got, yeah, they've got a setup for monitoring and measuring the water and the various ions that are dissolved in your water um, to see how, how that's changing. And that is also another way of measuring the, taking the temperature of the volcano, if you can imagine. And it's important to note this isn't just relevant to the Rotorua Lakes District, is it? It's, it's um, the whole of New Zealand and certainly of Bay and Plenty and the Waikato as well. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, New Zealand is one of the most volcanically active places on the planet um, and impacts are potential all over the country. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's relevant to, to everybody. And, and it's a great way to get more of our population interested in science and you know trusting and believing that this is a group of scientists whose goal is to to, to basically uh, make the public safer and to understand our volcanoes better. I am volcanologist Dr Janine Krippner representing Te Awamutu in the mighty Waikato here today. Um, I fell in love with volcanoes before I can actually remember. I've always loved volcanoes. I fell in love with Narahoe and Tongorero and Ruapehu when I was a tiny girl. Um, and then when I was 13 years old, I was introduced to the concept of a volcanologist. And I said to myself, that's what I am. And now I'm 36 and I'm still on the exact same path. So um, I'm working on Narahoe at the moment as well as a few other projects. Very passionate about getting volcano information out to people where people are and at the levels people need it. So yeah, thank you so much for wanting to chat. Mm, thanks, yeah, that sounds like a, a growing importance of people uh, being able to understand uh, volcanology, at least the basics of it, and uh, what to be uh, cautious of and wary of and what that they don't have to worry about. That's part of it too, isn't it? Oh yes, absolutely. Knowing what not to worry about, I think is just as important on a level of stress for people as what to worry about and then what to do about it is you know the next major thing so a great example is topor unrest the unrest is below the surface it could be i don't know all the details i'm not working on it but it could be geothermal it could be water it could be gas so should people be worried what level of stress is helpful at that point is just as important as okay we have an eruption now what do you do about it so that's a really good point what sort of study have you got going on at the moment with Naro Ahoi? I am uh, picking up my master's work from many, many years ago, looking at um, one of the projects is looking at the last two eruptions in the 50s and 70s. So something that most people don't realise is that Narahoi was actually the most active volcano in New Zealand until 1977, when it just stopped and it hasn't picked back up again. So looking at the details of those eruptions, um, something I'm really enjoying is going back and looking at all the recorded history that anyone has written or any photographs about activity at Narahoi and pulling out of that eventually, I'm not there yet, 
um, all of the different hazards and the impacts. So one from that I mean, there were pyroclastic flows, which are hot, superheated clouds of gas that raised down volcanoes, or there were ballistic ejecta, which are rocks that fly out of the volcano and they can bounce down the cone and impact the areas where hikers might be present. So those kind of things, looking at how often they've occurred and what areas they actually impacted. So um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating going back through historical accounts of like newspapers and uh, from what people, even their interpretation of what they were saying. You know, a lot of people talk about fire and smoke, whereas there is no fire or smoke coming out of a volcano. So it's fascinating. Volcanology is relevant to all of us, including in the Waikato, isn't it? Oh, very. Um, I think a lot of people think of, if, if they think of Ruapehu or Tongariro erupting, the ash, the dominant wind direction tends to go towards the northeast. But in the 1975 February eruption, my grandparents got ash on their roof out past Te Aumutu. And of course, that not only impacts people who are concerned about this, you know, if you get ash on your glasses, for example, and wipe it off, it's going to scratch them. It doesn't necessarily say you're going to get health impacts. There are very specific um, things we need to look at before. We think ash is a problem, but especially people with uh, lung conditions like COPD or asthma would have to wear a mask, um, knowing if it's going to impact the agriculture. We are a very intensive farming area. If it's going to impact the animals, all of those questions are being asked about it. So yeah, very relevant to the Waikato, even though our volcanoes, Mongototuri and Porongia, are extinct. So it would be not just a uh, disaster, like a natural disaster, it would be actually an issue of well-being in the mid-term, really. Depending on the size of the eruption and depending on the wind direction, it could be. Um, and we do take that risk very seriously, even if it's a small risk. Volcanologists don't see any risk as too small to look into. We're looking at every scenario, and there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Um, but of course, the areas much, much closer to the volcanoes are going to get more impact. So it's much less likely for areas like Hamilton and Teomotu to be impacted. But we want to know every way that it might impact our people, our communities in Waikato, in case it does. And people obviously would have family and friends down closer to the volcanoes as well. So, um, yeah, a lot of people are going to be affected if an eruption occurs. Exactly, and it, it could just be a small eruption that is just amazing to go down and watch. Um, it could be more impactful, like the Ruapehu 95 and 96 eruptions. A lot of your listeners might remember those. There was um, the impacts from the ashfall in the areas that received it. So looking at knowing the likelihood, so if you look at the weather, you know, unfortunately today there's a 100% chance of rain, but on any other day, is there a 10% chance of rain? Is there a 10% chance of thunderstorms? That's the kind of thing we look into. What is the potential for a scenario or a range of scenarios happening in these areas? And how would that actually impact people? And then of course, the next really important part is making sure people know about it. How do you know when activity is going on at a volcano like Naruahoe? Uh, GNS is our monitoring agency in New Zealand, so they have a lot of different sensors on the volcanoes that measure whether or not magma or gas or fluids, by fluids I mean waters, are moving around underneath the volcano. They give us signals. Uh, volcanoes also release different gases depending on how high magma is or what the magma is doing or how long it's been there. 
Uh, we can measure any kind of seismic activity. So New Zealanders are actually pretty aware of seismic activity. We've, a few of us got woken up a few weeks ago at whatever time that was by the earthquake uh, that happened. But a lot of seismic activity at volcanoes are way too small for people to actually feel. But we can get information from all of that. We also can look at information on geothermal fluids. We can get information from gases around the volcano, from fumaroles that are happening all the time. So all of these different types of monitoring, put them together with experts in every single one of them. And then there's also the universities around New Zealand looking at these things too. So it's a huge, um, very collaborative group of people around the country working to understand these volcanoes. It's obviously fascinating in that you stay attuned to it all the time and you've been studying it for so long. Yeah, it, uh, it's definitely been more exhausting sometimes than others. Um, it's, for me personally, it's very important when there is an eruption like the Tonga eruption to be getting what information we have out to people. Um, I do it via social media and media interviews. Um, it is. It is a passion of mine making sure that people get the right information when they need it. And unfortunately, we don't always have that information. For example, Tonga, when that happened, we will remember that the communications were cut off. So we were looking at satellite images, trying to interpret those and what they might mean, while also looking at this eruption, thinking, wow, is this as big as it looks? Like we're trying to figure it out remotely as we go too. So it can be very exhausting, but it's, it's so important and so rewarding as well. Okay, I'm Brad Scott. I'm a volcanologist with Genius Science. Um, I work in the Volcano Monitoring Group and my speciality is volcano monitoring. But uh, I, for 20 odd years I led the volcano monitoring team. Um, now I'm employed as an information specialist. So I, uh, the interface between the monitoring and stakeholders, um, etc. The, the, the stakeholder um, is a very broad term. That's basically everybody from the general public um, to the infrastructure managers and operators, the regional government, local government, through to central government, um, and you know, all the responding agencies that are attached to all of those. Um, so it's, an, it's a really broad, you know, our interface outside of the volcano monitoring group is incredibly broad. Mm. Uh, and um, how long have you been involved in this? I've only been at it for 48 years. <laughs> Yeah, so you would have observed a lot of changes in the um, technologies and the abilities to actually perceive volcanic activity. Uh, uh, definitely, there's been lots of technology changes. Um, <clears throat> there's also, I think for me, the, the technology's changed, but the social science is the, the new boy on the block. And what's happened in the last decade or so from social science, um, just information uh, about how people perceive messages, how you should deliver your messages, etc. That's probably been the space that's um, had the biggest impact for me. And just lastly, this is pretty important with the unrest which is going on in the magma chamber under Lake Taupo at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, that's um, an important part of, you know, and <clears throat> 10 or 15 years ago, we were really, really concerned that if we stood up and said, hey, Taupo is experiencing volcanic unrest there'd be this enormous overreaction because of all the work we've done and working with stakeholders the public and education etc um, that reaction hasn't happened and it's gone really really well um, and that's been really pleasing thank you for listening to this episode of wts waikato 
If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook or find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. WTS Waikato aims to share the hyperlocal, controversial and quirky stories of the Waikato region. I'm your host, Gary Farrow. If you have any stories you think are worth sharing, email me, technician at freefm.org.nz and we can try to plan something out. You can also get in touch with me via the WTS Waikato Facebook page. I look forward to hearing from you. Mā te wā. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.